Hi, my name is Victoria. I'm from the Philippines, and this episode is brought to you by Neumann. Whilst you'll know them for their iconic microphones, did you know that Neumann also makes monitors, specifically the KH range of monitors? Using a KH, DSP-enabled Neumann monitor and the automatic monitor alignment MA1 system ensures the best possible sound quality in any room, whether you're mixing, monitoring, or mastering. Have the same experience wherever you are. Find out more about MA1 and the Neumann KH speaker range by visiting neumann.com slash monitor. This is MPW, the podcast with your host, Zylo Aria. Cool. A podcast about music production for the everyday musician, where we learn from experienced studio engineers and each other. Vanessa Silberman is a New York-based singer-songwriter, producer, engineer, mixer, entrepreneur, and the A&R, as well as the owner of Diamond Heart Production. Diamond Heart Production is an artist development label recording and music publishing company started in 2014 and was named the number one of 2011's LGBTQIA plus and women-owned labels that are changing the music industry. Hi, Vanessa. It's great to have you on the episode today. How are you doing? Good. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. And I am keen to chat to you about touring and organizing your first tour. But before we do that, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your career and how did things get started in music for you and how did you get to where you are today in a bit of a summary. (laughs) Yeah, sure. I have been in the music business since basically my late teens. I moved to Los Angeles in my late teens. And then um, long story short, I started by getting some internships when I was going to music school briefly. And I started working for various labels and uh, doing internships that turned into primarily into my first music business job, which was working, doing what they called at the time viral marketing for Epitaph Records, which is an independent label in Los Angeles. And um, I've had, you know, since then about every job in the business and simultaneously had been doing music and I had a band for about 12 years called Diamonds Under Fire and then a solo career. And then also I started my record label, Diamond Heart Production, in 2014 while I was an assistant engineer, the in-house assistant engineer at Studio 606. And before COVID, while releasing records and also recording, I was touring full-time, playing 100, 200 shows a year played like something like 800 shows in the span of like four or five years. So yeah, just kind of doing everything, everything from TV and film, licensing, royalty stuff in that world to assisting, to, you know, doing marketing, booking, touring, recording, just kind of everything. Yeah. And I have been doing music and all these things. And so long story short. Okay. So just a bit of everything, it sounds like. (laughs) Yeah. And primarily when I was working in the business and, you know, did all these various jobs, I had started my label because I was scouting for a lot of other managers or labels at the time. And, you know, and kind of, I guess, in the pop realm or pop world, everybody's kind of jumping in to be second, usually in the major label world. And I remember finding all these really cool bands and artists and, 
you know, telling people about them. And I was like, you know what? I've seen all these different artists who I found and felt like I had a pulse on. And then a few years later got really big. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to start a label. And I had wanted to do it since I was super young. I'm going to start a label as an outlet for myself and all these other artists so I can help them. One of the classes that really inspired me when I was in music school was artist development. And I really loved doing everything. And, you know, early on, I kind of remember, you know, some other people in the business telling me, you know, Vanessa, you kind of have to pick one thing. And it just didn't make sense to me. And I felt like the more knowledge and things and power that that artists have is empowering themselves and knowing how to, I guess, bring their dreams and vision to fruition and helping themselves. That's their biggest, best asset. And I really have loved and enjoyed helping artists in the artist development realm, you know, which also a huge part of that is touring and building that way if you're a band. Mm, okay yeah that sounds a great and a good thing for artists to be aware of as well so can you tell me Vanessa one event in your life that if you could you would change you know to be honest I feel like I wouldn't change anything because most of the time people would want to change like their more difficult or challenging experiences. But I feel like those challenging experiences or hard points make us into who we are and give us strength and lessons. And I think I wouldn't take anything back. I think all the experiences we have are part of our journey. Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that and if it wasn't for those challenges we wouldn't be who we are today so glad you're on the same page (laughs) so can you tell me a random fact about yourself that perhaps not that many people in the industry know about you when I was growing up I grew up partly on Kauai Hawaii uh, the island of Kauai. And growing up, I didn't have MTV or the radio for that matter. And really, I discovered a lot of music stuff through like Columbia House, 10 CDs for a penny, you know, kind of ordering random stuff or watching MTV at, at like um, friends places. And yeah, so I had a very different experience growing up. I discovered music very differently versus like, you know, obviously we didn't have, you know, social media like TikTok and Instagram, but Kauai was, I think the whole state was an early adapter of the internet. So I discovered, I think early on downloading music, one song would take like 24 hours. I remember, (laughs) hopefully I won't get in trouble for this. Someone had uploaded like all this old rare, like Nirvana songs that hadn't come out. And I remember discovering this page. And at the time, it taking like a whole day, you know, a whole day and a night to download one song. And I would take a tape recorder and a microphone and try and record it on the tape. So it wasn't stuck on the computer and I could have it on a tape. So I think just having, you know, the unique experience of living in Hawaii, you know, was really different. I mean, it took maybe a half hour to get to the closest gas station kind of situation. Okay. Wow. (laughs) That must have been a different lifestyle than what most people can imagine. So yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. So jumping into our topic today, which is planning your first tour. Can you tell me 
Vanessa, when do you feel is the right time for an artist to start their touring career, say? I think there's a wide variety of answers there, especially now with technology, and it depends on the artists and bands. Traditionally, artists or bands, you know, back in the day when they did tons of artist development and the labels had like these really big budgets, you would make a record and take the show on the road and build that way, where it was way more of a common thing than back then. I think it was way more unique and um, substantial. I think, you know, if we think back to like the Motown days and stuff like that. Nowadays, I think for a rock band, particularly, most of your career is built off of performing live. And there's a lot of, I think, different perspectives or arguments on this, you know, whereas a pop act, you can build a lot more online. But then again, let's throw in the whole concept about building online. And these days really doesn't kind of matter what genre you are. There's a lot of different ways of building. But I think especially if you're a live band and you're goal and and also what you love is touring and performing live, then touring is a big aspect of your career. And I think the most important thing is that you have a product to tour on. There are unique situations where bands or artists are known for their live performance but haven't put out a lot of recordings. But I think that's very unique and rare. There was one example where I can think of a friend of mine, Rain Wolf, who was known for his live performances, but also had performed for years. But I think he had, I don't know, maybe opened up for like maybe like Robert Plant and like a lot of other really big acts and had only put out like one live single or something like that. I think there's some unique situations like that or people from other bands or have had some sort of prior career. But I do think it's substantial when a band is first building, there is a methodical way of going about it where you play live in your hometown and perform there just to kind of get your feet wet, whether you're an artist or band, and methodically build in your hometown and then regionally and then outward. But some of these things go kind of out of order. But, you know, in terms of when an artist or band should start touring, I think when they have something out, really, because without your products or your your music, you don't have anything to promote. So essentially, we're going back to the old school artist development perspective of you have your product and then you present it live. Okay. So when we talk about where to tour, and you sort of touched on this about starting your hometown and then slowly building out, is that the kind of only way or the best way? Or would you say that there are other ways that you might go about determining where might be a good place for you to start touring? Yeah, I mean, there's a ton of different factors. And I think firstly, for an artist or band, I recommend that they figure out what their goals are. Because for like, I'll give you I guess my example before the pandemic in 2015, I started touring solo and full time for that matter. I just wanted to tour and play shows. My goal was building and touring. I think a lot of these things when you tour, if you plan things out methodically, can happen simultaneously. Like you might be an artist and more of in a pop realm where you do a lot of marketing online or even radio campaigns, 
you know, and then that'll help dictate where your fan base is and where you're getting played. So if you do a lot of marketing online and you have fans online in a lot of different cities, when I say markets, you know, part of it is marketing, hey, where should we play? Where should I play? And asking and talking to your audience and then letting that dictate where you tour to. Or if you're getting played on the radio, that can also methodically in a marketing sense help you dictate where you tour to. But I think typically for a band that's starting out, I think the most financially, you know, way, and I don't think a lot of us get into the business to the financial isn't the driving goal. It's a bonus, but it's not the driver for the people who lost in the music business is the passion or the love of doing it that drives you. And I think with that said, you know, it's like finding a balance financially. If you're a five piece band, I think building in your hometown is probably smart. And then if everyone in your band has weekend jobs, it's like, or excuse me, weekday jobs, then it's being methodical about it and going day on regional or weekend tours. So it's easy for people to take off on a Monday or Friday. And then you can do three or four markets and slowly build and keep circling around. Also methodically, people will go about building where they play once a month or build into residencies in bigger cities, like playing once a week, once you've built up an audience. I think stuff like that is more suitable to bigger bands or artists who travel in bigger parties or have like quite a big light show or expenses if they're hiring a lot of players to play. I think wiser to to play hometown shows because you don't have to go far. Whereas when you once you get on the road, it's doing a lot of math where it's like, okay, how much, I guess on a do-it-yourself level, how much is it going to cost to go from city A to city B, you know, for five hours? Do we have you know, friends or family that we can stay with or what are the costs of hotel? What's the cost that everybody's going to incur going on that? So that's why I think the whole strategy of of starting small and then building outward is easier for artists and bands to wrap their heads around while building. Okay. So a few things to think about there. And Say that you are an independent artist and maybe you're a solo artist and you want to organize a tour that has a few different stops involved. How would you go about that process? Or are there some certain steps that are kind of the same in most tours that you go about planning? I usually will distinguish Reasoning by, you know, especially, and I'll put the comparison out for, let's say, a band or artist for their first tour. First, maybe starting out where, like, they might have a connection to another band and some family and friends. I would substantially start kind of building with that or doing major cities, you know, doing a few. One thing that I also look for is, you know, the methodicalness of the order of hitting cities where you figure out what realistically, especially early on, your band or you can drive a day, you know, what's reasonable. Five or six hours is pretty reasonable because if you're traveling with a bigger party and you tack on an additional hour, we're getting into a lot of logistics here. You tack on another hour for stopping and getting gas. And then also just 
methodically having enough time to load in, you know, and do a sound check if the venue is offering that to you um, or determining if it's a line check, how much time you have in between two cities. Also methodically thinking about in the investment, one strategy too, depending on where your band is at, is when you are planning a tour, doing the major markets, but playing, if you guys want to play in between, our smaller cities. And sometimes in these smaller cities that over aren't oversaturated, bands and artists are, are able to negotiate like a guarantee, even for bands that are unknown. And sometimes that can help offset the tour costs when you're building these tours. I think it does require a little bit of like methodical math, you know, planning out how much it'll cost you in gas for each drive and then how much it'll cost you for staying in each city if if you don't have a place to stay. And then you offset that if you're playing any cities in between that might offer a guarantee. Also, let me add, there's a couple things that might be helpful for people is there's a couple terms that bookers use. One is called a hold. And the term is used when you're figuring out kind of your routing Often bands or agents will ask a venue if they can put a hold on a date because they're trying to figure out if the next date is available in the next city or they want to wait and just till they hear back from another venue. That is something that you can do. Also, it can help you figure out what routing you go. If let's say you've got three dates and you're talking to a venue on number two, but you're waiting to hear back on number three and number three is in three different directions or two different directions. So if you put date two on hold and wait till you hear back from three, then it's kind of like just methodically thinking it out a little bit. But often too, the deals that people get these days for bands starting out are often door deals. It would be a percentage or an amount of money that people get from making at the door and it depends on venues or it would be a percentage of the bar. So that's also factors to think about. Some ticket prices are in advance and some are at the door and those will vary. Yeah, that's a great tip there to think about some smaller towns on the way to maybe get that guaranteed fee as opposed to the percentage or or per person through the door. And With these shows as well, is it often the band's responsibility to book the support act and how would you go about doing that if so? So that is a good question. I always had felt that when a band is coming to a city that they've never played before and are building, I've always felt like the booker, I feel like it is really a great thing and I felt like almost it's their job in some way to help bands or artists initiate that connection. A good booker will be like really good at matching bands like, okay, you're hard rock. I know three local bands that are hard rock. Let's see if they're available. Sometimes what happens too is that's nice is when you are used to touring and have quite a bit of experience you end up building relationships with local bands or you might have friends who are in bands in different cities and you can go to a booker and just say, hey, we've got a couple locals we want to play with. Sometimes doing 
for bands putting their shows together themselves ends up working out better, especially knowing their sound and style. These things really vary. Sometimes promoters and bookers really put it into the artist's or band's hands to fill the entire bill. And I think that this can be really challenging and difficult for artists who are, you know, not from a place. But that is part of the building and building the relationships with the cities and people in the cities. One way that I've gone about finding artists and bands is doing a lot of like Google searching, searching on Facebook, searching on Instagram. Another technique is going to different venues in those cities and seeing what bands they are having there. Those can be some helpful things that you can do. I don't necessarily think that there's a rule in terms of whether the booker or the band puts together the entire bill, but I do really think it is nice if a booker offers to help at least, yeah, for a band that's starting out. Yeah. And when we talk about marketing the tour as well, I know you mentioned before that can sort of almost determine the tour as in where you end up getting played on a radio uh, show or something like that. So maybe potentially that comes first and then the tour, but also then as when you get to a point where it is a door deal and you do need to think about who is coming. What kind of strategies would you say you can use to market that tour? So there's a lot. I mean, on the other hand, just to go back and circle back to my comment about the radio is if you do enough planning in advance, it's like, and you have the budget, you could do, you know, a radio campaign around the markets that you're playing and that would help dictate some promotion, you know, and also that would help. You could do ticket giveaways with the radio station. You could ask the venue. Often venues should have a local press list. I think press is also an aspect of letting the local news and media outlets know that you're coming. Sometimes these rules have varied, but like six to eight weeks, sometimes five weeks in advance, you know, shooting a pitch email or hiring out a publicist for that is helpful in doing tour press. I've always, that's something I've always done once I have a show booked in the past a lot. That can help because the day of or the week of, they might, you know, put you in the paper or there's also national press too, where they'll list all your tour dates. But just on the other aspect, I mean, through Facebook, if you list all the tour dates, personal messages is a great way to personally outreach to people. Like if your friends are from a town and start there, their friends will come and their, you know, their friends might bring some other friends. Also ads, you know, using the Instagram or TikTok ads to cater towards the cities that you're playing. If you list the tour dates and do a reel, I've messed with doing some of that stuff. Another thing is visually making like a poster or um, art for the tour online, but also physically that you can mail to the venue with the tour dates and a visual. Because I've had people, you know, see stuff and come out. I think that's helpful. And there's other like um, marketing aspects, you know, with like the press where you can do morning shows and stuff like that. But for a band who, who doesn't have many connections or any budget, I really feel like there's a lot of things you can do by just personally messaging people and posting and doing hashtags and asking people to share. So, yeah, those are some tips to start. 
Yeah, no, there's a few things that people can start with there. And when it comes to looking at your tour a little bit as a business, and I know you mentioned that's not why we get into it as artists, but do you have any tips for artists to one, reduce their costs on tour and secondly, to increase their income? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I mentioned was instead of spending money on a hotel or like, let's say you can look at Airbnb, but also another aspect, I'll just mention this, Priceline's great for hotels for bands who are starting out, Airbnb, but also if anyone in the bands has friends where you can stay, that's a cut cost. Also, thinking about giving they call this a per diem. Typically on bigger tours, it's like a one rate per day. You know, budgeting where you keep track of how much you're spending and, you know, tell all the band members, hey, you know what, here's some band money that we have and we're each going to spend this amount a day on food. Also, a lot of these venues, you know, depending on where you're playing, sometimes we'll offer food. That's a, a place to save money. Another way is that, you know, everyone's sharing a vehicle. Some other ways to save money. I think planning ahead is really helpful so you can try and think about these things ahead of time. I think producing merch items for artists and bands, and that's why I say, you know, kind of touring when you have a product, because Selling CDs, T-shirts, and these physical items, although we're very much living in a digital world, having these physical items to sell on the road is really helpful, and this is a huge moneymaker. You can do exclusive, like, merch packages and stuff like that. I think that's a great way to do it, you know, and also make it really easy, like, with your merch display where people can look you guys up online even make donations if they want. But I think those are some places to start. And another thing, like I'm mentioning, instead of, let's say you're playing Chicago, but you weren't able to get a show on your way back to New York, instead of driving that whole space, trying to play a smaller market that might give you a guarantee for playing, you know, either one long set or maybe a couple sets figure out, you know, if you're a flexible artist and you're just doing this alone without label support and people are still getting to know you, one thing that you could do is learn some covers or, you know, be able to play some older songs or something like that so you can, you know, play a couple sets for a good amount of money and that'll help offset your tour. Okay, some few more things to think about there as well. So all the things we've mentioned there, they could feel like a lot for an independent artist to think about, especially as someone, maybe even if they don't have a band, to reduce the number of things that need to be done per person. How realistic would you say it is for an artist to book their own tour? I mean, I think it's extremely realistic. I think it's absolutely, you don't need to have a booking agent to do it at all. And and in terms of a band or artist, knowing how to do booking is extremely valuable and effective. I can give a few recommendations on how to do that. If there is a market that I don't know and I'm looking for a venue, I might like Google search rock venue, Edinburgh, Scotland, or you know, punk dive bars in 
Cincinnati, Ohio. I would also try searching even on Instagram and Facebook. You can look on the hashtags or see where the bands that you like are playing, maybe who are, you know, depending maybe a little bit above your band or the same level as your band. I often find that there are booking emails on their Facebook of venues. That's a helpful tip. Also their website, sometimes you can call the venues. But yeah, I think it just takes time and searching. And if you're in a band with a few members, I think um, everybody learning how to delegate jobs could be very helpful. Yeah, definitely. But that's great to hear that it is achievable and something that uh, an artist can do for themselves. And are there any other tips that you want to add that maybe we haven't gotten to? I definitely come from the train of thought and I have always is that if you build it, they will come and uh, thank the field of dreams for saying that. I feel like the more as an artist and band that you initiate and self-start for yourself and your career, the more it'll help. Don't be afraid to get out there. You don't need representation or a label or a booking agent to start and just get out there. There's a lot that you can do on your own. And I think just to add, like the music business in a certain realm is really built off of momentum. And really, uh, depending on what your goals are, the more you initiate, more momentum it, it causes. And then, you know, a lot of people will take notice. So I think being a self-starter will really help you. Don't be afraid. I will definitely suggest... Before, it definitely was, you know, three months in advance for booking a tour. Sometimes these things can be shorter or longer, you know, five months, six months. I just think in general planning is, there's no rule, but planning ahead is super important. You that way have enough time to try and get all your dates together, promote, and try and line up all these other things. I think it's very challenging and difficult when you're a month out. And also I recommend, you know, having a product so your head is in a space of promotion versus finishing recording. It just makes things so much easier. Though we aren't living in a perfect world, music, you know, it's a lot of like racing in some regards with the momentum. So, you know, that's just one aspect to think about. So coming to our speed quiz, Vanessa, are you ready? Oh my gosh, I'm nervous. <laughs> so this is just five quick fire questions and you just have to pick one or the other. So let's go for it. <laughs> Oceans or mountains? Oh my gosh, I can have both. <laughs> oh no, that's not an option. <laughs> I want both. We're in the summer, so ocean. Okay. All right. Ocean. Roller coasters or water slides? Oh, wow. Let's say roller coasters. Okay. Headphones or speakers? Oh, wow. Both are such great experiences. Um, let's say speakers. I want to share it with everybody. Festival or rave? Festival. Mac or PC? Mac. Okay. Very good. We kind of sped up a little bit there as we got to the end and I thought that was good. <laughs> I felt more clear. <laughs> that's it. That's it. But no, that's great. So coming to our top tips then, and you did mention a couple of these in the question before the quiz, but do you have one top career tip 
Yeah, I never really quite got this till I got it, but I remember people always saying, follow your heart. And I have felt like there were moments where I definitely got that, where being in the music business and just having a career or in life in general, pick something that you love because it'll really help, I think, the journey and make you, you know, stick to uh, what it is that you're doing. If you love music so much, but you have hard moments, it's not that hard because you love it. So I think no matter what my tips and advice for artists and bands out there is put your heart into whatever you do and be super proud of your music and your performance and what you're giving to the world because you have such an opportunity to share something really beautiful. So, mm. yeah. I love that. I love that. And what is your one top self-care tip? Personally, for my self-care, I do meditation. I listen to Chopra app almost every day. And I also exercise. I do hot yoga and ride my bike. So I feel like stuff like that is, I know it's simultaneously a couple things in one. Also, I will promote it, you know, to each his own, but I am vegan and I think eating healthy, living a healthy lifestyle is very beneficial to the ups and downs of life. <laughs> oh, 100%. No, I totally agree with you. It's so important to look after yourself, which includes your mental state and your physical state and everything that comes around that because we can only deal with challenges if we're feeling strong. So, yeah, no, that's great, great to think about. And the last question, what is your one top general life tip? You know, I've had moments where I have gone through brief overwhelm, you know, and I think a lot of people went through different, you know, you know, everyone has a different threshold. But when I think about the fact that we're kind of like a piece of sand floating in space. It kind of makes me laugh. I'm like, oh my God, don't take anything too seriously. Because I do take seriously what I do. I put like everything I got in it and love what I do. But it's just a reminder. I think, you know, nine out of 10 times, everything's way better than you think. A lot wor less worse than you think. You know, if you're going through a hard time, you can only go up. I think, at least for me, a positive outlook has always helped. And that's where like some stuff like meditation comes in and, you know, just where your brain, you know, head space is at. But just remember, live every moment, you know, to life as much as you can, just because, you know, we have this one chance in this body, depending on what you believe. And I used to always say this on tour, if you've been thinking about doing something in life, but you haven't done it yet, and you've been just waiting for someone to just give you an okay or tell you you can do it, don't. Just go for it. Don't wait for another day and just live life to the fullest as much as you can. Oh, uh, yes. That's a great, great tip to end on. And very, very true. And like you were saying as well, things often are not as bad as we think sometimes and even just putting things in perspective and having a bit of maybe a gratefulness practice as well, just being aware of all the good things that are happening as well. is Yeah, totally. It's like the cup half full instead of half empty. We're really lucky. Yeah, yeah. yeah definitely. Well, thank you so much for that, Vanessa. And I learned a lot about 
the touring aspect, especially as someone doing that for their first time. And I'm sure our audience will get a lot from it too. So thank you. Thank you so much, Zylo. Thanks for having me. My biggest three takeaways from Vanessa's episode was firstly, small town shows in the middle of your bigger shows can be a great way to get a guaranteed fee instead of the larger shows that can often have a percentage of the door given to the artist. My second biggest takeaway was that you can put venue dates on hold, which can be a great way for you to plan the tour without booking things in until your whole tour is a bit more solidified. My last takeaway was that venues will often have PR lists that you can ask for and email those journalists to get some more buzz around your shows before getting to the tour dates. That's it from us this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode and we look forward to seeing you in two weeks.